Happy New Year. So long, 2020. Hello, baby, 2021. <laughs> is that great? Every year that I've been with you as your pastor, uh, I've had a theme. Well, I, I sort of shared what the theme is, so it's, it's our theme, but it's kind of weird because I came up with it. But it informs how I'm relating to you uh, and our team and sort of helps kind of inform what I want to be about. I think that God has, has kind of said to me, this is where I want you to focus. So our first year together, the theme was love. I just wanted to love Maple Valley Presbyterian Church. I wanted to love Maple Valley. I wanted to love us into a change of a name and a change into a new season and yet honor the past and, and love all the history of our church and love you and love you at home. I see you. Wink, wink. <laughs> that was the theme for the first year. And then uh, 2019, we said, you know, now it's time to start listening. Sorry, I got it on this L theme here, so you're going to have to help me with more L words. Again, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, where God would have us go as a church. You need to listen to the congregation. Let's really elicit your insight, your input. The elders really wanted to communicate with the congregation. That began with listening. That led into to lead. So uh, fall of 2019, we said, here, here it is. This is what we believe God is calling us to do, where he's calling us to go in leading the vision for the next five years. We are family with all that's entailed with that and all that we're starting to see come about. 2020 was very interesting. Before things were shut down, before we knew exactly what was happening, we heard what was happening uh, in other parts of the world, but it hadn't come to our shores yet. There still was a sense that, that the Spirit was saying on my heart and on our team's sense of, of something new is coming, but we need to lean into it. And so the theme for 2020 and how apropos, lean in, that is to say, it's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult. You, Lean into it. Don't pull back. Don't, don't uh, restrict, but, but lean out and be generous and, and, and go for it. And 2020 was definitely that. So now I had to come up with a new L word for 2021. And here it is. You ready? Laugh. Well, they're right on cue. They're, are you laughing at home? Laugh. You know, they say, Monica, they say laughter is the best medicine. I'm waiting for the vaccine, but laughter is pretty good too. I won't wait in line for that. But, uh, more than the sense of, of laughter and, and a lighthearted sense that God is going to do something new, even in the midst of this most difficult and challenging time yet here at the beginning of the year. And yet we see, we see things turning around as the months proceed. And we want, to, we want to be ready for that. We want to be lighthearted in that after such a difficult and unlaughable year. But more than that, more than ha ha ha, I was drawn to... Uh, the story of Sarah and Abraham in the book of Genesis, Genesis 18. And here they are, childless. It impacted Sarah probably more than Abraham deeply, profoundly, in so many ways of her identity, of who she was. She even gave her husband to, a, to another. Just And Abraham is communicating with, with the angel of the Lord who says to him and promises you will have a son. Your wife, Sarah, who's been barren all these years, her child years are so far uh, behind her, she's going to have a son. And what, did she, what was her response? She laughed. As in, no way, God. There, there's, no, there's no way that's going to happen. And so what was that child's name? Isaac, which means laughter. Laughter. Hold this child in her arms, with her 
husband by her side and to laugh and say, God, you, you did it. You did this. And that's the picture that I see God doing. It's going to take time. Maybe it'll take nine months. It'll probably take at least till June until we can start seeing everyone coming back and childcare and all those things. It'll take, it'll take a while, but I'm just going to put that out there as, as a theme for, for 2021. Our overview for where we're starting this year and where we're going to go, let me tell you, this morning we're starting our new series, Knowing God, a 13-week series of understanding who God is and the story of, of God and how we fit into God's story. And then that's going to lead right all the way up to the beginning of the Easter season, and we'll have a series called Scandalous Grace, and how scandalous the idea that of grace is in our lives. And that will be a several-week series, and that will go into a really in-depth study of the book of Ephesians. Raise your hand if you've ever studied the book of Ephesians. Anyone here? A few of us? Powerful book, insightful book. Uh, and we will have available to us and you at home those journals, those same types of ESV uh, study guide journals that we had for the Revelation series. So we're going to dive deep into Ephesians. We're going to have a number of exciting things yet to share with you, uh, but I'm excited about what God's going to do in that series. That series is going to be in the spring and into next summer. The summer uh, in which many of us will probably uh, finally get out and do those vacations and camping trips and, and outings and baseball games that you had hoped to experience last year. But I'm profoundly uh, thankful and grateful and to share with you, church, that uh, the elders have granted uh, me a sabbatical next summer. This uh, year is going to be uh, a year of milestones in my life. I'm turning 50. That's a big one, right? Uh, I will be marking 20 years of ordained ministry, and it will be 13 years since the last time I was able to have a sabbatical. And in the process of interviewing me to come here, um, our elders, our personnel elders, the PNC, said, you know, why don't you get your feet settled for a little while, but we want to make sure that there's longevity. There's an L word. Maybe we'll use that one for the next few years. And so I'm thankful for that, thankful that we're going to have an incredible team uh, here in-house uh, leading the church. We're, we're looking at, uh, by, next, you know, by the springtime, uh, David Miles will be ordained. By the fall, uh, late fall, uh, Sarah Goodell will be ordained. Uh, yes. By the time we come back together, when I'm back here with you uh, next fall, we're going to do a series in the book of Nehemiah, which I think is really appropriate. Nehemiah, the rebuilding, and then we'll have our We Are Family campaign uh, to expand our classrooms and our space for uh, serving people in our community. So that's what's coming up. A lot of things are coming up. Our mission as a church is to help all people know God more deeply, love others more completely, and live life more fully. And so, appropriately, our series, Kicking the Year Off, is Knowing God. That's the desire, that we would know God more deeply. We not only know things about God, not only know the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, but also know the story that God has written. The story of God and the story of his people and how they interact with God. This is going to be a God-centered series. And so here are the themes. This morning, God is, then God makes, loves, speaks, judges, pursues, arrives, dives, saves, sends, transforms, gives, and reigns. Palm Sunday will be our God reigns supreme. It will be a God-centered, God-saturated series these next 13 weeks. And 
prayer is that as we go deeper in our understanding, in our commitment, in our knowledge of God, that would then prompt us to love more. That would then prompt us to live more fully. But there's a challenge. And here's the challenge. Almighty God is transcendent. He's absolutely beyond our comprehension, our knowing. He is completely other with a capital O. Far above our little minds, we looked at that study in Isaiah, and what did he, how did God describe people were like little grasshoppers compared to God? God is unknowable. And yet, as God is transcendent, God is also imminent. God chooses to engage in his creation. He wants to be known. He reveals himself to us. The heavens declare the glory of God. Paul writes in, in Romans 1, no one will be with any excuse to say, I, God, I, I didn't know there was a God. Like, no, no, no. You'll know, and you know that there's God. And so we're going to go deep into understanding who God is. We can only, though, make headway, this idea of God's transcendence and yet his image, we can only make headway into the strong currents of God's deep mysteries by God's revelation and by God's saving grace. We can only know these deep things by God's general revelation. It's all the things we can see in nature and around us, but also his special revelation of God's word. And also the work of God's saving grace. The problem we have, the challenge that I have, that you have, it's not a matter of information. This is not going to be a series of lectures. Like, can I just get a few more data points? Just give me some more information, folks. That's, that's not the problem. It's not an information problem that keeps us from knowing deeper of God. That wasn't the issue for the exiles in Babylon. They didn't know. It wasn't that they needed more information. And it wasn't that they needed more motivation. It, it's not like I so say, well, if you just deliver a really good message, Pastor Pete, then we'll know what you're trying to say, and then we'll really know God more deeply. No, no, I mean, it's not a matter of being motivated or inspired by the music or by the word. <laughs> the Old Testament is filled with the prophecies. We, we read about Isaiah pleading with the people to grab hold of their attention, scaring them, grabbing hold of them by the lapels and saying, let me inspire you to believe in God. So then what's the challenge? If it's not information, if it's not about information transfer, if it's not about inspiration, like the louder I raise my voice or speak really slowly or softly, what is it? Well, Scripture says it's an issue of reconciliation. The Bible says in Romans 8, verse 7, in our natural selves, we are at enmity with God. That means we are hostile to the things of God. We don't want to have anything to do with the living God until God does a work in us to reconcile us to himself. The Prince of Peace comes and works in us and opens our eyes to see in our ears to hear. You know, Christmas time is a beautiful time and I'll tell you a little secret the pastors can tell it's a relatively easy time to preach. Why? Because it's such a, a time pregnant, uh, pun intended, of meaning, and it's evocative. We use words like comfort, love, joy, child. We can pull on the heartstrings. This is our opportunity then instead to be explicit. 
And that explicit, clear-cut message is this. To get deeper with God, you first and foremost need to be reconciled to him. Someone who says, well, you know, I'm actually a very spiritual person. I'm really interested in things of God. I'm not sure what you're talking about, Pastor Pete. I mean, I don't want to go to your church or, or read your holy book, but there's lots of different ways of finding God, and, and I'm very open to what the universe would have for me. God, show yourself to me. I want to be deep. And I would say to that friend, friend, you don't know the God of Scripture. Because the only reaction that a person has when they meet a God of Scripture, not a God of our own imagination, is one of only a few responses. Terror, falling over ourselves to confess, or absolute joy. So I've got my work cut out for me. And I want to hold to Jude 3, contend for the faith once delivered to the saints as we go on this journey of knowing God. The most distinctive, thoroughly biblical, yet most mysterious teaching that sets Christianity apart from all other religions and from all uh, groups of religious people uh, whose beliefs and practices deviate from Holy Scripture, that's a polite way of saying cults, is the doctrine of Trinity. And so this morning, our theme is Trinity, God is. God is a triune God. That there is, is one God known to us in three persons. How is it that I got assigned the most diff- Oh, I assigned myself? Oh, I see how this is going to work. Okay. Okay. So uh, how many of you, raise your hand, know something about the Holy Trinity or have studied it here? A few people here and, and at home? Okay. Christians have different perspectives, different insights, different points of view on a whole array of aspects of our faith. Things that we can learn from one another. We're going we're to have that shared as our preaching team goes through this series. We're going to have different perspectives. And so let me introduce who the team's going to be. Uh, David Miles is going to be preaching. Sarah Goodell is going to be preaching. Frank Barker is going to be preaching. Joe Fantasy is going to be preaching. And Robert Wood. How about that? His first sermon here. There he goes. Yeah, he thinks that this is easy. All right. Uh, <laughs> everyone has different perspectives on different things, but the Trinity is a first-order doctrine. As difficult as it is to grasp and really impossible to try to explain in under 30 minutes, it's a teaching of, that Christians of every stripe from the very beginning have held to. And so I'll tell you this from the outset. There is no room to agree to disagree when it comes to the Trinity. And if someone says to me, hey, Pastor P, I don't really quite get the whole Trinity thing. I mean, how important is that to my faith? That's like asking me, Pastor P, how important is your wife to your marriage? <laughs> our faith, our worship, our sacraments, marriage itself, our sense of community, the sense of what the church is built on is Trinitarian. If who God is isn't the most important thing to understand, to grasp how God has revealed himself, the one that we will commune with for all eternity, if that's not the most important thing, then I don't know what is. So the word Trinity doesn't appear in in the Bible, and yet from cover to cover, we see in Scripture this doctrine 
the self-revelation of God. There's lots of other words that aren't in Scripture either, but we hold them to be true. God's word is, is reliable and fallible in there. But, but, and yet, even though it wasn't shown in Scripture, that word, this is how believers have always understood. And so let me share with you four essential uh, elements or affirmations of the Trinity. We do that? Okay, number one, there is only one true and living God. Number two, the one true living God eternally exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The three are equal in attribute with the same divine nature. And number four, while each is fully God, the persons are not identical. Do you got that? You sure? Early Christians didn't come up with the Trinity by mere speculation, like, oh, let's just come up with... No, they, they saw God doing a new thing in history, a redemptive history. They were seeing a new thing, God the Father sending his Son, who was God. They saw the sending and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And to put it all together, to make sense of it, they put these words together for us. So let me go over each of those affirmations with your attention. I appreciate you indulging me this. Number one, the Bible teaches God has one nature or essence. A fancy word for that is monotheism. There is one God. There's not a pantheon of gods. There's not some justice league hall filled with gods. There is only one true God, monotheism. And so uh, every faithful Jew will pray every day and every time gathered in the synagogue, the great prayer, the Shema in, in Hebrew, it means hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6.4. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, Jesus repeats those words. God is one. In his own words, Almighty God says this in Isaiah 45.5. He says, I am the Lord. There is no other besides me. There is no God. That's what he says of who he is. One God. And throughout Scripture, James speaks of this in chapter uh, 2 of, book of James. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Their reaction. So knowing God is one. One in essence. Essence is the, fun, the fundamental characteristic, the inherent characteristic of something. So God is one in essence. One nature. One Substance, one, one what? What is that? It's a camera. It's turned on me right now. I'm getting mesmerized by the red light saying that you're, I'm being filmed right now. That's a camera. That's a what? That's its essence. But number two, God exists in three persons. One essence, one what, and three who's. Personhood describes our relational, relational, intellectual, emotional qualities. Human beings have personhood. We can relate to one another. We have a will. We have, we have thoughts. We have feelings, don't we? We love sharing our feelings and thoughts. That makes us people. So each of us is the same essence. Raise your hand if you're a human being. Okay, hands down. But we're not all the same. And we're all people. Unique people. That's, there's David. That's David. There's Sarah. We're different people. And we see this throughout Scripture. We see glimpses of God revealing himself as one and yet also three. We see it uh, 
we see it, well, we see it in, in the very beginning of the Bible. <laughs> the, the plural name of God is, is, is used there. We see the Holy Spirit uh, hovering over the waters, don't we? We have the example of, of Jacob wrestling all night with a God-man. There's this sense, there's a famous theologian many years ago, Warfield, who said, understanding the Trinity in the Old Testament compared to the New is sort of like stumbling into your living room when it's dark. You can feel the furniture, it's around, you can't quite see it until the lights come on. And that's what's revealed throughout all of Scripture. Number three, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are distinct from each other, and all three persons of the Trinity are fully God. So for instance, Jesus' baptism, Luke 3, says, Jesus, the Son of God, John said, I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals, goes into the water, says, the, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a what? And a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Father, Son, and Spirit. In Scripture, the Father and Son are both called God. So here, for example, 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, There is one God and the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Paul basically just repeats himself to make sure that we understand God the Father is God, God the Son is God. Second Peter. So this is kind of a review. I know I'm going kind of fast. We'll check in on scripture references later if you want to. We could be here all day with scripture references. Second Peter, his second address, he writes it this way. To those, quote, who obtain a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of, wait for it, our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you remember the scene in Acts 5? And Nias and uh, uh, his wife, uh, what was her name? Sapphira, thank you. Uh, they were holding back from their offering. Do you remember this? Uh, I don't think we'll preach on this in the fall when we're doing our financial campaign. But they were holding back their resources. And, and, and Peter says to them, you're, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. And they drop dead. And then he says in Acts 5, he said, Peter says, you didn't lie to the people, you lied to God. It's an example of the Holy Spirit also being called God. Jesus is fully God in his divine nature and fully man in his human nature. When he was on earth, he, he didn't give up any of his attributes of deity, but he assumed all the attributes of humanity. So he's not subservient or, or, or below the Father. You think, well, gosh, dad comes first, right? Father and then like son. But no, it's the role that he played. He played, Scripture talks about, in theology talks about the second Adam. He lived the life that Adam was meant to live. He, he walked in the way humanity was meant to live, in obedience to God. Say, I, I will do only my Father's will. He was modeling to us what full humanity looks like. And yet he was fully God, playing those roles together. Number four, while each person is fully God, in, the, in, the, in Trinity, they are not identical. They're not identical. It would be nonsense to think that they're all identical. Example, John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. We read this at Christmas time, don't we? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, that is, the Son, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, 
Here we see the Son is distinct from the Father, yet is still identified as God. The Bible sheds light on the way the three interacted. The Son prays to the Father, John 17. The Father expresses his love for his Son at the baptism. And both send the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that he would send another. He'd send what? The, the helper to us. Have I lost you? Have I lost you at home? Let me sum it up. We believe there is one true God who eternally exists as Trinity of equal divine persons. And each member of the Trinity thinks, acts, feels, speaks, and relates because each is a person, not an impersonal force. Each is equally God, but not identical. Listen, at the end of the day, the Trinity is a, is a mystery that can't be spelled out in 30 minutes or, or 30 hours. It can't be comprehended by human reason. Just give me more information, Pastor Pete. Can you pick up the pace, Pastor Pete, so this can be a little bit more of a motivational, inspirational message. It's a work of faith. It's trusted by faith, and it's confessed in the best words that we have in the creeds of the church, the Athanasian Creed of around 500 A.D., the year of our Lord, says this, we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we confess that each person is God and Lord and that the deity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is one equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. So that's as much as I, as I can say of who God is. God is Trinity. We can ask, actually take a, a little extra time, if you'll indulge me, to explain who God is not. And see, throughout the history of the church, people have been trying to make sense of it. It's like, no, no, there has to be a logical explanation. There has to be a way that we can explain it uh, that people will really get and really comprehend. And so logically, I was just going to trust our own opinion of how uh, it's laid out. And what those logical interpretations have led to have been something outside of Scripture, and the church historically have called them heresies. Heresies that linger. Does that make sense? Let me just give you the top three, since that's kind of our theme. Three is a magic number. Yes, it is. Number one, tritheism. Tritheism is a teaching that, that there are three gods. Not one god, but, but three gods. That teaching lingers today. If you have friends or family that are part of the Latter-day Saints, uh, Mormons, they believe in three gods. Uh, Arianism. Arianism, named after uh, Arius in the third century, he taught that God the Father is one. There's one God, and the, his first creation was God the Son and the Holy Spirit, that they are subservient to him. But he's number one, and then these other creations come along after. Maybe you have friends and family that are Jehovah Witnesses. They would teach this. How about modalism? How many of us, any teachings on modalism? No. Sibelianism? That was another, it goes by that name as well. It's founded after the creator of that name, Sibelius. You know, no one's ever heard modalism? You haven't been taught that? No teaching? Well, that's, that's good. That's very good. Well, modalism uh, taught that there is one God, but 
God works in three different modes or three different masks are worn. You've never heard this? I'm grateful to hear that. Has anyone ever been in Sunday school where a teacher has said, you know, the Trinity is like water. It be in, it's the same essence, but it's in three different states. It could be a solid, a liquid, and a vapor. Modalism. All right, no, you, know, you know what the Trinity's like? Kids, here, you'll get this. The Trinity's like an apple. I mean, there's the skin, there's the flesh, there's the seed. Heresy. Oh, okay, no, um, how about uh, an egg? An eggshell, same thing. A clover, the same. You see, we bring it down to a level and we say, boy, that was great. The kids got that. That made so much sense. But it's nonsensical because it's not what God tells us who he is. Instead of giving us a formula, instead of saying, here's the one, two, three, four, God tells us a story. The father sent the son on a rescue mission. The son lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. He rose on the third day. And the father and the son sent the Holy Spirit to empower the church to come into your life, to move in, to bring new life, that new creation where Rob spoke about at the very beginning of our service, to bring new meaning and power and movement so that we can love and live like never before. This is the story God tells. Do you ever really want a quick answer? Like, can you just tell me? Like, can you just let me know what to do? And someone says, well, let me tell you a story. I don't want, just, just tell me, tell me. Let me tell you a story. Well, that's what God does. He sets aside our impatience. He knows that a work of reconciliation is a relational work. And he draws you and me into his story. This can be challenging, I know, I get it. Some of us here, if we were really honest, we talked about, like, I, we don't get, I just say Lord, because I don't know how to pray, but even though the Trinity is mysterious in our little minds, it does not mean that it's not what really is. But this is what we do know of God. The Lord, the Lord God Almighty, the God of Scripture, the God of the universe, is a relational God. God is relational in his very essence. And God's essential essence, and I get now to say, right out of the gate of the series, his greatest uh, essence that we know, his greatest attribute, God is love. Do you know what scripture actually says in 1 John that you cannot love if you don't know God? That's how much God, his attribute of being love, is all about. And throughout all eternity... God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in perfect, loving, harmonious relationship. God needs nothing and no one outside of God's self. When you say, well, I want to fall in love with someone, what do you do? Well, you go find someone to love, right? Somebody to love, right? That's what we do. We just, we go find someone to love because there's something incomplete. I need someone. God doesn't need anyone. God didn't need to create anything because within God's self, there's perfect harmony and unity and love. And yet, and yet, the Bible says out of that perfect love, the Trinity finds joy in creating to share that love. What did Jesus pray? 
his high priestly prayer, John 17, 18, he says, Father, I pray that, that they will know the kind of love that we have, the relationship we have. I pray that they can know that. It's good that I go away, that the Spirit can come, that they might just have a glimpse, might be stumbling around uh, in a dark living, but we get a glimpse to experience what that kind of love is. That is what it means to understand the Trinity as being central to what we believe. Are you getting this? This isn't just some information I'm trying to communicate to you people. This is the very heart and soul of our faith, our worship, our relationships with one another. It's understanding God put that desire of relationship, of community within me. He made me in his image to have that. Next week, God creates David will preach on God's creation. The next week, Sarah, God loves, God makes us into human beings. And on and on, and I hope you'll see, and you will see throughout this whole series, the Trinity at work, informing our community, our faith, our sacraments. I'd like to invite uh, our team to come up. We can sing some praises together and we can pray. When we pray, customarily, We pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how did Jesus teach us to pray? He says, our Father who art in heaven. That's how we pray to the Father. What does it mean when we say in the name of Jesus? Like when I end this prayer, I say in Jesus' name, what are we saying? In his name. We're saying on account of what Jesus has done, dying on the cross for my sin, on account of his righteousness being imputed to me, on the blood that he shed for me, on that account, and only on the basis of that account. Nothing that I can bring, no amount of works, nothing do I bring simply to the cross I cling. I'm saying, yes, Lord, in your name, I have the the privilege to come into your Father's presence. And we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. You know, the Bible even says that when we don't have the words to say, like, ah, yeah, I'm not sure what to pray. The Holy Spirit says, this is what, he, what she means or he means. The Spirit speaks for us, works through us, guiding us. The fancy word is sanctifying us, making us more and more like Jesus at work in us. So we pray in the power of the Spirit. Are there other prayers? Absolutely. Maranatha, Lord, come. Lord Jesus, come. Can we pray that prayer? Do we want Jesus to come? Pray for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me. Sometimes the shortest prayers are the most powerful prayers. Just to say, God, help me, help me, help me. Or how about this one? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's pray. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes here and and at home too. And I want to begin with the words from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. It says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So, Father, in your name we pray that this grace and peace would be multiplied in the lives of those that are hearing my words right now. God, that is a work only of your saving grace that that can happen. Not information transfer, not inspiration, but Lord, it's a work of reconciliation. So Father, we, we ask you, God, now to hear these prayers to you. 
We pray in Jesus' name on the finished work you accomplished for us, Lord Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would continue to, to move and operate. Lord, prompt it in us something to laugh about this, this year. In the midst of dark days to come, hardships and trials, we will face as a people. Lord, may we keep our eyes fixed on you. And may we be in relationship with one another, Lord, not just growing in more and more knowledge about who God is, but then that would play itself out in the way we love and the way we live. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.